Um, my name is Michael. As Paul mentioned, I serve here as a pastor and thankful that you all are here today. Uh, I wanted to ask a question, so uh, you're going to need a pen and either a journal maybe you brought with you or a note card that's in the seat pocket in front of you to write down this answer. But uh, what is something you're celebrating right now for you personally? Uh, something that you are saying thank you to Jesus for? Uh, something that as you look back just I'm not talking about over the last 30 years of your life. I'm talking about just this past few days. Something that you said, God, I just want to thank you for this. Uh, write it down. Something that you are celebrating, something that you are praising God for. Uh, I know for me, uh, I often quickly uh, focus on what's not happening with me rather than focusing on what is happening with me. Uh, and so I'm not the guy that's always walking around saying, God, thank you for this, thank you for this, and praising you for this. I struggle uh, to get my eyes off of what I think is not happening uh, and focused on what is happening. So this for me is an important question because uh, I want to be the guy, Scripture says, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Um, I don't want to be the guy that's just walking around all grumpy and frumpy and mad and angry and just... I want to be the guy that's not confused as to what it is I'm thanking God for. So I encourage you, write something down. Um, now, that might be hopefully a relatively easy question for you to think about of something that you are thanking God for, but I want to hit you with, a, I think, maybe an even more challenging question. Uh, and the second question would be this. What is something that those around you are celebrating right now? Something they are praising and thanking God for? So not what you're thanking, praising God for, but what is something that you know uh, someone else in your life right now is thanking, celebrating, praising God for? Could be a friend, it could be a, uh, could be a spouse, a coworker, a neighbor, family member, whoever it is. Uh, think of one person and write down, I know that this person right now is praising God and thanking God for this uh, and whatever the this might be. Now again, because... Uh, I tend to be very self-focused, meaning self-centered. Uh, I completely miss uh, what God is doing with and through other people because I'm thinking about what's happening with me or not happening with me. And consequently, I miss celebrating. I miss rejoicing. Uh, now, for some of you, it, it might not be that you're just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about it's hard to look at what God is doing in someone else's life because the good that God is doing in someone else's life somehow is translated in your mind or your heart as a loss to you. And so you have a hard time celebrating because every time you look at the good that God is doing with someone else or through someone else, you really struggle to celebrate that because you immediately go to, well, this isn't happening with me or this is not happening uh, with me. Uh, either way, whether you're just focused on yourself or you're just thinking, you know what, I can't celebrate uh, the good in someone else's because it reminds me of good I don't have, uh, we completely miss the command, the charge, the invitation to be joyful people. Uh, now, I'm asking you these two questions really to kind of set up where we're going today. Uh, and where we're going to be is in Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at three verses, Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 19, we're gonna look at verse 19, 20, and 21. And very specifically, we're going to look at two words today. And the two words that we're going to look uh, at uh, today are meanwhile and however. Now, this first word, meanwhile, uh, as I was preparing uh, this past week and studying the scripture, uh, let me just read these verses to you. 
I don't know if you've ever read scripture before and you just, you can't, you get stuck on a word. You get stuck on a phrase. And that's what happened to me this past week. Uh, This is verse 19 in chapter 11. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And they preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. And then here's our second key word. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed, and they too turned to the Lord. Um, I got stuck on the word meanwhile. It's an adverb. And uh, as I was praying and just thinking, like, what's the big deal about this word meanwhile? Um, And this is what God really convicted me of. Uh, It was like, Michael, you get so fixated and so focused on what's happening with you and with Genesis or not happening with you and not happening with Genesis that you completely miss the amazing things that I am doing that you don't even know about. Because you get so focused on what's happening in your small circle that you completely miss that while I am at work in your life, and you individually as a family and certainly as a church have much to celebrate, have much to thank God for, have much to praise God for, don't forget the meanwhile. While I am at work in your church, while I'm at work in your life, while I'm at work in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, meanwhile, I'm doing other amazing things. For the past uh, three weeks, we've looked at the story of a man named Cornelius, and specifically how God just grabbed a hold of this man's heart and specifically saved him, saved his family. And we looked at uh, the story of Peter, how God corrected Peter and said, Peter, you're believing things about me that are not true. You're believing that I play favorites, and Peter, I don't. And because I don't play favorites, Peter, I don't want you to play favorites either. I want you to love all people, regardless of their background or their baggage or who they are, where they come from. So for the past three weeks, we've been so focused in on the story of Cornelius and Peter, and specifically looking at the towns of Caesarea, Joppa, and Jerusalem. But hundreds of miles away, God was at work uh, in Antioch, and they didn't know that God was doing that. And for me, it got translated as I was thinking and praying this week, uh, I really honestly felt convicted where God was like, Michael, if you continue just to keep your eyes fixed and focused on what is happening here and happening with you, your worship and your praise of me will be small. But if you would just remember that while I am at work in this community, in this town, meanwhile, I'm doing amazing things around you. Uh, And the more you learn about the things that I'm doing, the greater your praise, the greater your celebration will be. And so I emailed some of my friends. Uh, Specifically, Genesis is part of the Acts 29 church planting network. Uh, When Genesis started as a church roughly four years ago, we were the second Acts 29 church in the state of Massachusetts, and I believe the fifth church in the entire New England region. So all of that to say, there weren't many Acts 29 churches in New England. Uh, Four years later, uh, there are now 12 churches uh, that have been planted or being planted right now just in the Boston area alone. That's amazing. And so I reached out to my fellow Acts 29 church planters, and I sent them this email uh, verbatim. This Sunday, I gave them an introduction and stuff, but this is the, the meat of the email. 
This Sunday, I would like to share with the Genesis community how Jesus is at work through the different churches in New England. One area that I fall very short in is getting so focused in on what is happening within Genesis that I lose sight of the great things that Jesus is doing with and through other churches in this region. Well, I'd like to repent of that and celebrate with our church what God is doing in and through your church. So please pass along one sentence as to how you see Jesus at work in your church right now, something that you are praising and thanking him for. That email went out to about uh, roughly 20 Acts 29 church uh, plants in the New England region, and I also sent it out to about five or six other uh, pastor friends that I know uh, in the area. And I wanted to share with you this morning so we can celebrate together that while God is doing great things here and we can be encouraged by that, I want you to know, meanwhile, that God is doing amazing things in New England. Uh, and we as a church can celebrate what God is doing, not just here, but what God is doing with other churches through this area. I didn't get a response back from every uh, single pastor, but uh, I hope as I read these, you're going to be encouraged to know that while great is happening here, meanwhile, God's doing amazing in other places. This is at Church at the Well in East Boston. The Lord continues to grow Church at the Well, East Boston, in both number and influence. We are seeing a few, a few seeing new faces every week. 70% of their church is unchurched, meaning 70% of their community has not ever come to church before. The gospel is being preached and displayed, and many lives are changing for his glory. Also, construction on the Well Coffee House in South Boston is scheduled to begin on November 7th. Now, that alone right there is amazing. These guys came in from California, planted a church. There was a team of uh, three other families, and their desire was to start a coffee house, and within the coffee house is where that church would gather. And they wanted to be in South Station because there's 250,000 people that go through South Station every day, and their crazy idea was, well, why not plant a coffee house right there so we can have a presence to impact and influence thousands of people as they come through uh, South Station? Uh, after a year of battling with the city of Boston, uh, construction on their coffee house uh, is, uh, starts next week, and they will open at the end of November. Now, that's amazing. I told uh, Kevin, my friend, if you were here a few weeks ago, I don't like coffee. I like coffee people, like people who drink coffee. I just don't like it. And I said, man, for 41 years, I've never had coffee, but when you open in South Station, I will have my first cup of coffee at uh, the Well Coffee House in South Station. This is City on a Hill in Boston. City on a Hill was blessed to plant our first church in August, and we have our second church plant on the docket for February of 2014. We've had more baptisms this year than any other year, and we are running around 100% of our average worship attendance in community groups. That means everyone that's coming to church is also gathering in the week in small communities. Um, Netcast Church, which is right up uh, on 128 uh, in Beverly, uh, the pastor sent me this. and He said, we are currently praising him for his faithfulness towards us as he's transitioning our leadership and organizational structure in order to care for more people and equip Netcast in healthier ways. Why they need this right now is when they launched about three years ago, it was uh, Matt Shuning and his wife and a few other people, 
And now, from what I understand, they're running about 500-plus people who are coming to their weekend gatherings, and that many are also getting connected in their community groups. So amazing things uh, are happening there. He says, it's not been a painless process, but the Lord has been gracious to build unity and lead us towards the gospel as we are being refined. Vita Nova, a church in Amherst, Massachusetts. We moved into a new space, started attracting more families, started a youth ministry, and we will be baptizing four people this fall. Christ the King in Jamaica Plain, Roxbury area. Uh, We kicked off weekly services uh, in Jamaica Plain on September 8th, so just a few months back. We had a man come to faith in the church who was initially so opposed to our presence in the neighborhood that he refused to even meet with uh, the planting pastor. Uh, The Hub Church in South Boston. This is a crazy story. I met this guy a a few months back. His name is Charlie, and he invited two dozen friends and family to move from the North Carolina area to partner with him and say, hey, let's go make some noise noise in South Boston. And so now there is him and his wife and about uh, 24 other people. They all live within a two-block radius, which is amazing, of each other, and they're having a huge impact already. But he said this, here's what we see Jesus doing right now, teaching us as a new church planting team, the burden and the beauty of being the church to a neighborhood, not attending the church. In other words, we're creating a culture of living with gospel-fluent lives in all of our daily rhythms together as opposed to just on Sundays. Redeemer Church, they haven't started, but they're starting soon in Somerville, uh, Massachusetts in the Davis Square area. We're celebrating two people joining our launch team over the last month. If you came here from Seattle with just you and your wife, you'd be pretty fired up that God raised up two more people. Are you guys with me? All right. Well, feel free to get a little charismatic and say amen. The City Church in Springfield. At the City Church in Springfield, we're celebrating an apparent move... In apparent move of God, as our church continues to grow in number, leaders are taking the reins, and we are baptizing at least six later this month. Pray that God saves many more before and during our baptism service on November 24th. Terra Nova, a church that meets in Troy, New York. In one of the most unchurched and post-Christian metro areas of the country, we were blessed to launch a second community in Saratoga Springs. In the oldest church building in the entire city, 75 people gathered in this newest expression of their church there. We've already had our first baptism uh, in this church and are anticipating more. River of Grace in Concord, New Hampshire. Despite the devil gunning for us, the world opposing us, and the flesh betraying us, by God's grace, we, are bapt- we have baptized 19 this year. We have six men in our pastoral development track, and we have six healthy missional communities going on. It's amazing what Jesus does through the week. Mizio Day, a church in Portland, Maine. Uh, Angel Silva pastors this church. He says, currently we are celebrating a wayward daughter and a single mother as she returns home. A rebellious teen who has met Christ uh, for the very first time and women who are finding their voice within the church as godly moms, as godly wives and daughters as they experience the fullness of the Spirit. There was a little bit more to this, uh, but the heart of that one was we're seeing reconciliation, broken relationships, but relationships getting restored. Sacred Journey uh, meets in Providence, Rhode Island. We are going through a time of deep growth and transformation. We are, count- we are encountering more of the rich heritage of historic Christianity, which is deeply challenging how we make disciples uh, uh, for the local community uh, here in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, I emailed, uh, not all Acts 29 churches got back to me, but that's a snapshot. And I emailed some other friends of other pastors that 
know, I'm excited about what God's doing. So I emailed them and said, hey, what are you guys celebrating? This is from my friend Jed at Harbor of Hope in North Chelmsford. We're thankful that Jesus continues to deepen our affection for him and increase our desire uh, to help people find their way back to God. He's moving tangibly and powerfully in people's lives. Very grateful. High Rock, which is a church in Arlington, Massachusetts, pastored by David Swain, says this, we are thankful that God is opening up more space for us on Sundays and drawing more and more people to learn about him in the context of community. Both of those have been exciting to us recently. Uh, this one just came in after the 9 a.m. service. Uh, Redemption Hill Church, which meets in uh, Medford, pastored by a guy named Tanner, uh, he said this, God has been excessively gracious to us as we've relocated our Sunday worship space, strengthened our witness in Medford through service efforts, and sent out new community groups to see the body of Christ growing among us. I reached out to our sending church, which is Hope Christian Church in Winchester, about three miles down the street, and they said this, we see God renewing a desire for reaching out for the kingdom through the people of Hope Christian Church wherever they spend most of their week. By creating a physical map of our reach, we can better see the footprint we have regionally and not just in Winchester. And we're praying for the rollout of a new course they're going to start in February called Christianity Explored. One of the pastors, uh, I, again, I emailed probably about, um, I don't know, 25, 26 pastors asking them just for a sentence or two of what they're celebrating. And out of all of them, one emailed me and said, Michael, well, you've asked us, what about you? What are you celebrating? I was like, well, here you go. It won't take me long. I wrote this, <laughs> celebrating unity amongst our leaders and the body, transformation and healing, growth in people learning to love Jesus at all times and all places, and people growing in love for those around them, and people who did not know Jesus beginning that relationship for the very first time. It took one word, meanwhile, for God just to use that one word to convict me, to say, Michael, it's good to celebrate and to think about and to consider all that God is doing here. And we can rejoice in that. I want to rejoice in that. Uh, but not at the expense of forgetting the meanwhile. That while God is doing amazing here, meanwhile... He's at work in this entire region. And I took the time to share that with you because um, I don't want any of us to miss and get so focused and fixed on ourselves and our lives that we don't care the amazing things that God is doing around us. And he's invited us to be part of that. That's just one word that I wanted you all to catch uh, this morning is meanwhile. And not for us to ever forget uh, that God is a God who is doing great here but he's working in other places as well, and we can celebrate that. The second word that I wanted to share with you this morning is the word however. Let me read this to you in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read all three verses again. Uh, it says this, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria, and they preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. And I love this, verse 20. However, isn't that a great word? However, some of the believers went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So meanwhile, while the story we were focusing on with, uh, with Peter and all that he was learning and Cornelius 
Meanwhile, God was at work with the believers that had been completely scattered away from Jerusalem. Now, if you weren't here a few months ago, when we were looking at Acts chapter 8, this is what happened in Acts 8. It says this, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So before Paul became the apostle Paul, he was Saul, and he was a murderer. And it says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers, except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Because an incredible persecution had broken out, the entire church that was localized or centralized in Jerusalem now had scattered. And the reason they had to scatter, because if they didn't, they'd die, or they would be imprisoned. And just as I was thinking about this incredible wave of persecution that broke out, and now we're learning more what happened to these people. I don't know what you're like when you go through hard times, uh, but I know when I struggle with things and I'm going through hard times, praise is not always the first thing that comes to my lips, often mumbling and grumbling and complaints. And as I considered these men and women who were scattered because of persecution, and that might be hard for us to imagine, but imagine, if you can, you having to leave everything that was known, everything that was familiar, family and friends, and you had to leave all of that in a hurry because if you didn't, you were going to be imprisoned or killed because of your faith in Jesus. And imagine you had to go to a land that was not yours, a country that you were not very familiar with, and you had to start all again. In the flesh, it would seem like you got plenty of reason to complain, uh, to, complain to grumble, um, and just to murmur. But what I love about these men and women, it says in verse 19, meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria, and they preached the word of God. So on their mouth was not complaints, but on their mouth was, we're going to tell everybody everywhere we go about who this God is. We're going to go every, everywhere we go, everywhere we get scattered, we are going to tell people about who Jesus is and how you can know him. And one of the things that, this is kind of a side note, but one of the things that has been encouraging to me this, this week, and this is like one of those things you know, but it's great when you, you learn it again. Um, and this is what I learned afresh again, is that God can take any circumstance in your life and my life, no matter how bad, painful, frustrating, hurtful, discouraging, depressing it might be, and actually use it for something amazing. And so often we get stuck in the frustration, the hurt, the disappointment, the depression um, of whatever the circumstance or situation is, and we lose sight of, no, but God can take often what man intended for, for evil, and he can actually use it for good. So when the church got scattered and they were confused going to all different parts of the known world, they didn't go complaining. They actually went praising. Now, as it says in uh, verse 19, uh, they preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. One of the things that the first century church really struggled with uh, was a prejudice. They had a hard time getting over that the message that had been given to them about who God is and what God had done, they had a hard time believing that that message was for all people. Uh, and not just the Jewish people. And so for the first many, many, many years of the first century church, uh, the message largely was going to the Jews. 
Because I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, how could they possibly do that? How could they possibly be so prejudiced? And the guy was like, really, Michael? You have no prejudice? You have no people in your life uh, that you think less of or, or look down upon? Because sometimes when you read Scripture, you're like, man, what were they thinking? And then God gives you that question, like, really? Well, what are you thinking? Well, I had one of those moments where God convicted me of my own prejudices. And so I wanted to ask you the, the same question I wrestled with this week. Uh, are there any prejudices in your life that are preventing you from going to the people, to all people, with the message that God loves them too? It might be people that you think you'd never relate with or connect with, you have no common interest with, uh, you look different than them, you dress different than them, you act different from them, different family background, different history, you're East Coast, they're Midwest, they're from the South, wherever. Are there any people in your life that you somehow, you might not verbalize it like this, but in your heart and in your mind, you're like, what's the point of building a relationship with them because I've got nothing in common with them? And there's no way on earth that these men or women would ever have any interest whatsoever in knowing God and having a relationship with Jesus. Well, thankfully, this is where the however comes in. This is where I feel like when we look at this word however, uh, it is an incredible invitation for us to say, you know what, we can get stuck in our prejudices and think that what God has given us in a relationship with him is just for you. Is just for me. However, there might be some of us, and my prayer is it would be all of us, that would say, you know what? We're going to lay down and repent our of our prejudices, and we're going to be the however people. We're going to go to all people. And I love in verse 20, it says this. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And they just saw many people come. The hand of God, the power of God was on them, and many people were coming to put their faith in Jesus and turning to the Lord. What I love about this community is there was probably some crazy people there who are like, you know what? It's good that some of you are preaching to the Jews. They need to hear the message as well. But why doesn't some of us go to the least likely city and see what God might do? Now, uh, I'm not an expert on geography, but in my reading and studying this week, uh, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, right behind Rome, right behind Alexandria. But what was amazing and set apart Antioch was incredible intellectual prowess. That's what they were known for, as well as uh, they were the city of people that just worshiped thousands of gods and goddesses. So out of all of the least likely people to bring the message of Jesus to, why on earth would you go to Antioch? It's a bunch of people who know everything, so why would they need to know God? They've figured out everything else. And it's a bunch of people who already are worshiping gods and goddesses. Why on earth would they be interested in knowing the one true God? They've got thousands of gods to pick from. But what I love about these men and women here in this community is, however, there's a few that said, let's, let's go to Antioch and let's see what happens. And I'm thankful that they did, because when they did, they saw God show up in a really powerful way. Again, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch um, began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus, and the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Now, two things that I would say about those two verses, 
I want to share with you something missing, and then I want to share with you something present. Do you notice anything that's missing in this verse? Anything seem odd to you? Because when I think about something that's missing, I'm like, well, where's Paul? Where's Peter? Where's James? Where's John? Where's some of like the pillars of the church? Where's the leaders of the church? Because aren't they supposed to be leading the way, so to speak? And what's missing is there is no Paul, there is no Peter, there is no James, there is no John. What you have here is just you and me. Just a normal community of men and women who said, let's take the message to Antioch and see what happens. Because I think what often happens in the church is, well, Michael, sharing and preaching about the gospel, that's your job. That's what you do. You're like a professional. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. And again, we might not verbalize it like that, but we think to ourselves that sharing our faith, talking about Jesus, preaching, proclaiming, and being a witness to Jesus is just for certain people, namely elders, deacons, leaders in the church. But it's not just for all of us. And what I'm incredibly encouraged by is even though Paul, Peter, James, John, pillars of the church were absolutely missing, that some of these believers, just normal people, started doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, and then they saw Jesus do what he promised would be done. And that's what's present. Uh, So what's missing is the leaders. But what's very present is the power of the Lord was with them. What they did, they didn't do in their own strength. They actually did in the strength that God gave them because God promised that when you are my witness, when you are proclaiming, telling, preaching, pointing other people to Jesus, I will fill you with my power. If you remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think sometimes we don't experience the power of God in our lives because we're simply just not doing what God has told us to do and tell other people about him. And we could have a long list of reasons why we don't do that, uh, but these men and women, the, the, um, the however group, uh, they experienced what often so many of us miss is the power of God, the hand of God, seeing men and women turn their lives to God. Um, I wanted to just finish our time by asking a, uh, a pretty challenging question. And I want to preface this question that it's not intended to make someone feel guilty. It's not intended to be a condemning type of question, uh, but I do hope this question will cause you to pause and cause you to consider, because uh, it's one of those questions to me where it forces me to really examine, am I really doing what God wants me to be doing? Am I doing the very thing that God told me to do? And this is the question. Who in your life is walking with God because you introduced them to Jesus? Who in your life right now is walking with God because you, not someone else, but you personally, were the ones that or the, were the one that introduced them to Jesus? And again, this question is not to be a guilt thing or a condemnation thing, but as I wrestle with Acts, specifically this passage, how could I not be confronted with 
if I'm a Christian, Jesus told Christians, go make disciples. Go share the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm being disobedient to the very thing that God has told me to do. So again, challenging question, but please examine. This might be an odd way for you to think about it, but do you have spiritual kids? Do you have kids in your life that are now part of the family of God because you introduced them to Jesus? I think one of the things that many Christians, myself included, struggle with is we get so busy with doing Christian things. We get so busy doing things and ministries within the church that what often gets neglected is the most important thing that Jesus told us to do in making disciples. If you want to read a challenging book, uh, David Platt wrote a a great book uh, not too long ago uh, called Radical Together. And in basically the preface of the book, the heart of the book is saying, Christians, don't settle for just doing good things. Strive for doing the thing that God called us to do as first importance. And he said this, The last thing you and I want to do is waste our lives on religious activity that is devoid of spiritual productivity, being active in the church but not advancing the kingdom of God. We don't want to come to the end of our days on earth only to realize that we have had little impact on more people going to heaven. And at the heart of that quote right there was, it would be tragic if we got to the end of our life and we said, you know what, I was really busy doing a lot of different things in the church and working with the church and working for the church and in the church. But just when asked, did you introduce anyone who didn't know God to Jesus so that their eternity was changed? Again, it's good to do the different things in the church that we do but not at the expense of not doing the very thing that Jesus told his disciples at the very beginning and at the very end. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus cast the vision right away. I want you to know that if you're going to follow me, you're going to fish for other people. If you're going to be a follower of mine, then what you're going to do is you're going to follow me to help find other people who don't know me, and I'm going to use you to introduce them. And to, to bookend this, Jesus, the last thing he tells them in Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples. What it means to make a disciple is there are people who don't know who Jesus is. We are to go and tell them, this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done, this is how you can know him. That's what it means to make a disciple. One of the things I'm personally convinced of is this. There is no greater joy in my life. And I have a lot of joy in my life with my wife and my kids in this community, but there is no greater joy in my life than seeing somebody's eternal destiny changed, than seeing someone who has no idea who God is make a decision to put their faith, hope, and trust and belief in the person of Jesus, that they went from transition from an eternity separated from God 
to an eternity going to be spent with God. There is no greater joy that I've ever experienced in my entire life than talking about and praying with someone who wants to receive Jesus. Knowing in that moment, in that exchange, God has changed their eternal destiny. I like how Charles Spurgeon, uh, in one of his sermons, said this, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in this world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus Christ, you seem to get a new heaven here upon earth. It would be my heart for me, my heart for my family, and my heart for this family is that we'd be soul winners. Is that we would be faithful to do exactly what Jesus told us to do and to make disciples. And as we do that, not in our strength, we see Jesus do what he promised to do, empower us to do the very thing in being his witnesses, being his ambassadors, in making disciples. Uh, The Apostle Paul said it like this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. What I love about that verse is it reminds me, every time I talk to somebody else about God and how to have a relationship with God and the benefits of knowing God and having a relate, every time I do that, I'm reminding myself of, oh yeah, I have that too. That same peace, that same joy, that same forgiveness, that same meaning and purpose that same content, I have that too. The more I talk about it, the more I'm ultimately reminding myself of, I have all of these things because I know Jesus. And it actually encourages me and spurs me on to be more active in sharing my faith because the more active I am in sharing my faith and telling other people about who God is and what God is and what God has done, I'm ultimately reminding myself of the great joy that I have. And it causes great celebration. Now, I'm guessing... For many of us, we have a difficult time, myself included. It's not like every single person that I meet, I just run up to them with a big smile on my face. I'm like, Jesus loves you and you need to know him. I still get nervous. I still get freaked out. I still get weird. I still get that thing that wells up in me. I'm like, I feel like, ah, I don't like this. And there are times where I absolutely, I just walk away. I shy back in that moment. And I know for many of you, maybe it's you have a hard time sharing your faith because you're just freaked out by it. The thought of talking to someone else about your faith, talking about your relationship with God, talking about Jesus, it just scares the heck out of you. For some of you, it's not necessarily a fear thing. It's just wicked awkward. Because the people that you know and the people that you spend time with and hang out with, they have no interest. And so the thought of bringing up something that they're not interested in is just absolutely awkward. And here's what I've simply learned about this. It's only awkward because I make it awkward. It's only a fearful thing because I've freaked myself out. And the more that I actually take time to talk to people about the most important thing in my life, I'm actually like, wow, this is actually fun. It's actually enjoyable. It's not a painful process. You know, the Red Sox won on Wednesday. Man, it was exciting. Did anyone have a hard time talking about the Red Sox on Thursday? No. Why? Well, it's we, we, we wanted to celebrate. We were like, it was exciting. Our city won the, you know, the big game. That's, that's awesome. Why is it so easy to talk about a baseball game? But when it comes to talking about who God is and what God's done in our life, we just, we get all weird. I wanted to share with you this morning just very quickly as I finish. Here's what it looks like for me. 
encourage you to write these down. This is not some formula that if you implement it in your life, you're going to become some crazy soul winner. But I wanted to share with you, practically speaking, what it looks like for Michael Davis to be active in sharing his, in his faith. Now, whether this is an advantage or disadvantage, I don't know. But I do know that I have to work pretty hard uh, to be engaging men and women who don't know who Jesus is. Why? Because I work in the church, and a lot of people that I spend time with are Christians. And I'm thankful for that, and I love that opportunity to encourage or challenge or equip or pray or bless. I love that. I love meeting with other pastors. But what this means for me is I have to be incredibly intentional with every single person that I come across, knowing that I might not see them again. And so here are a few things uh, that have been helpful for me in cultivating a lifestyle that is active in sharing my faith. And number one is this, and these are not rocket science, but please write them down. Be nice. (laughs) I told you it's not rocket science. It's amazing how when I am nice to people, and this is not like a natural thing to me, uh, not like this um, cruel, hard-hearted individual, (laughs) but it's not like I wake out of bed and like I'm just ready to be nice to everyone. But I've realized and I've seen and I've experienced as I am just nice to people, as I'm friendly, as I say hello, just simplest things, it's amazing to me the conversations that get sparked just because I was nice. And it might not be a full-blown conversation where I get to articulate the incredible mysteries of the gospel, but at least I get to plant seeds. And so that's been helpful is just be nice no matter where you are and who you're with be nice. The second thing I'd share with you is this. Ask questions and listen for their answers. People love talking about themselves. I didn't know if you realized that, but people generally uh, like talking about themselves. So ask questions. Ask thoughtful questions. Ask meaningful questions. Ask questions about where they've come from. Ask questions about their background. Ask questions about their work and their family. And as you're asking questions, be a good listener. Because as you're listening, you'll actually learn how to ask more questions. And as you're doing that, and as you're listening, people begin, whatever wall may have been up, starts to come down. Because as you ask questions, you're communicating to that person, I care about you. And I'm not looking just to share my agenda. You know, when you ask someone a question, you don't even listen for their answer because you're already thinking in your head what you're going to say. Do you know that people know you do that? They do. So ask and just listen. The third thing that's helpful to me is this. Answer questions with thoughtful and thought-provoking responses. So when someone asks me, Michael, how you doing? I, that's full license for me to share how I'm doing. And this might, might not be the response that they actually wanted, but if someone asks me, Michael, how are you doing today? What's happening with you? Well, let me tell you what's happening. This, I'm excited about what God's doing with this church uh, what, what do you mean this church? Well, Genesis, let me tell you about Genesis. Or, I mean, I was really struggling with this and I felt like as I was praying, God told me this. And again, you're gonna get some weird looks when you, because that's not what they're looking for. But I've never had someone look at me and be like, you are an idiot. But I have had people look at me funny. But you know what? They've been intrigued because I shared something that was not just thoughtful, but now thought-provoking. So anytime someone asks you a question, you will kill the conversation if they say, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. 
I'm okay. I'm fine. There's nowhere else for the conversation to go because it's not like someone's going to be like, well, can you explain to me the emotions behind when you say you feel okay? What's really happening in that moment? They're not going to take the time to do that. So if you give a one-word response to the questions that people ask you, it's a conversation killer. I would think Mondays seems to be the best day for you to share your faith with neighbors, family, friends, coworkers. Why? Because every Monday you're guaranteed to have someone ask you, how was your weekend? And that is your moment to say, let me tell you about my weekend. It was amazing. We as a church got together and we did this, or this happened on Sunday morning. I was encouraged, I was challenged, I was blessed, I was inspired by this. Again, it might not be what they're asking and really wanting to hear, but it's a thoughtful, thought-provoking response. After your community group, when someone goes in the next day and says, hey, how was your night last night? Well, let me tell you about my night. I'm meeting with this amazing community of people. They love me, they care about me, they challenge me, they pray for me, they bless, they inspire I mean, who else talks like that? The reality is Christians should. The fourth thing I'd share with you is this. Be winsomely bold with the good news that God loves all people. And I say winsomely because I'm not saying be a jerk to people. We've already covered be nice. But be winsomely bold. And don't be afraid to ask people challenging questions. Hey, what do you think about God? What do you think about the church? How do you feel about Christians? When you think about eternity, what comes to mind? If you believe, like I believe, that we are created for eternity, we are created to have a relationship with God, then it's not foreign to think that people are actually thinking about spiritual things. There's just not many people engaging people on spiritual levels. The fifth and final thing, and we'll we'll stop with this, is uh, the last one is this, be patient. And he don't give up. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a fisherman. I think I'm actually going fishing on Thursday this week for the first time since I was like three. And to be honest with you, I don't really like fishing. It's, it's boring. If you're a fisherman, you have a boring hobby. I don't know what else to tell you. I just might not be very good at it, which could be the problem. Um, but it's just you sit there and you're like, man, nothing's working, nothing's working. Where's the fish? And again, I'm using a fishing metaphor, uh, not because I'm a fisherman, but because I get the concept that if you'd be a good fisherman and one day you catch nothing, if you gave up and said, well, forget this, I'm never going fishing again, you'd be a pretty poor fisherman. But a good fisherman would say, you know what? I caught nothing today, but I will go back tomorrow. I didn't catch anything today. I'm going to go back tomorrow the next day. And I think what happens when we share our faith, we, we're like, oh, I tried it. It didn't work. Forget this whole thing of sharing my faith. I'm never talking about my faith again. Oh, just be patient. Just be patient. We have someone that uh, comes to our house almost once or twice a week uh, in a big brown truck, uh, wearing brown jacket, brown pants. Um, and for the past uh, four years, man, we have been sharing with him and praying with him now he's got to the point where he's coming and he'll drop uh, packages off for us. And he says, hey, can you pray for me with this? Doesn't believe in God, doesn't know God, but it's just taken time. There's so many, I try to frequent the same restaurants on a continual basis so I can get to know the staff, get to know the ownership. And now uh, the restaurants that I frequent, places like Chipotle, 
Um, they know me. And the reason that they know me is because I've tried to get to know them, where I'm asking them questions. And I know them by name, and I know what's going on. Not all of them, uh, but I've tried to get to know them and what's happening in their life. This is the however. I really desire for me and for all of you to be part of the however. However, there were some people who said, you know what, we're going to take the message of Jesus to the, the least likely to receive it, and let's just see what Jesus might do. And the church in Antioch, and we're going to discover this in the coming weeks, they became the sending church. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was a church in Antioch that became the hub of Christianity. Why? There was a few men and women who said, you know what? We've been entrusted with a message. It's a message worth sharing, and it's a message worth giving ourselves to. And they gave it away, and they saw God do amazing things.